Good morning. It's Friday, the 17th of November, and this is Govind Raj Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's smogged out financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day. The Reserve Bank of India tightens rules for personal loans, credit cards as demand and risk rise. India's gross domestic product to grow on back of ebullient festive demand, says the Reserve Bank. Panda diplomacy is back. America and China are talking again. Domestic air traffic continues to grow for the month of October. This is a core report with Govindraj Atiraj. Markets stay strong. Indian markets continued a strong march, though they fell back after climbing even higher on Wednesday's post-Diwali holiday 742-point run. On Thursday, the markets held a one-month high with the Sensex rising 306 points to end at 65,982 after hitting an intraday high of 66,358. The broader Nifty 50 closed below at 19,762. That's higher by 87 points. Foreign portfolio investors are now net buyers in Indian markets once again, if that's a trend you track and believe is important. The Indian rupee closed lower on Thursday, weighed down by a recovery in United States Treasury yields and the dollar which clawed back some lost ground supported by stronger-than-expected U.S. retail sales data, according to Wire Reports. The rupee closed at 83 rupees 23 paise against the dollar against its previous close, which was lower at 83 rupees 14 paise, which of course was a jump in contrast to the lifetime low of 83 rupees 42 paise on Friday. So, the latest close is 83 rupees 23 paise. So the larger point is the rupee is still weak, but seesawing at these levels. Oil prices are holding around $80 a barrel and broadly weak too, as demand continues to be and projected to be low. And oil also fell for the first time in five sessions after a government report showed swelling US crude inventories and a Federal Reserve official signaled interest rates may remain elevated, said Bloomberg. Although early 2024 could be marked by high volatility for Indian equities amidst the general elections, global investment bank Morgan Stanley, the bullish one, holds its positive stance and sees it outperforming not only China but many other emerging markets in the following year, the Economic Times reported. India has delivered strong relative earnings, sustaining the strong market outperformance seen in 2022, while macro fundamentals have withstood tightening financial conditions in the United States. India is set to establish secular economic and earnings outperformance versus emerging markets, Morgan Stanley said in its 2024 outlook report. Elsewhere, the Reserve Bank of India said in its November bulletin, the global economy is showing signs of slowing down in the final quarter of 2023 as manufacturing languishes, even as the services sector activity appears to have reached the end of its post-pandemic expansion. Further, it said that going forward, tightening financial conditions is a significant risk to the global outlook which means it is a risk to India as well. India's economic growth has also picked up, the central bank said, noting the momentum of change in gross domestic product is expected to be sequentially higher in October to December on the back of ebullient festival demand. Now, of course, that ebullient festival demand is there, but the numbers that we are seeing on consumer demand, particularly in consumer products, not seem to reflect across the board strength. And it's not clear whether they will continue into the end of this year or the last quarter. Reserve Bank of India tightens rules for consumer lending. 
After putting out several warning signals and cracking down on large small loan lender Bajaj Finance just the day before, the Reserve Bank of India has now tightened norms for personal loans and credit cards. The tighter rules in the form of higher capital requirements will make such loans costlier and possibly or hopefully curb growth in these categories which have outpaced the overall bank credit growth of about 15% over the last year. The Reserve Bank of India has increased the risk weights for banks and non-bank finance companies or the capital that banks need to set aside for every loan, in this case by 25 percentage points to 125% on retail loans, the Reserve Bank said in a statement. The new risk weight will apply to personal loans for banks and to retail loans for NBFCs or non-bank finance companies, the Reserve Bank said, adding that housing, education and vehicle loans as well as loans secured by gold and gold jewellery would be excluded, Reuters reported. The central bank on Thursday also increased risk weights on credit card exposures by 25 percentage points to 150% and 125% for banks and NBFCs, as we pointed out in contrast. Now, high risk weightages usually have twin objectives, as I could see. One is, of course, to reduce the systemic risk. The other is to make it difficult for banks to lend and people to take small loans or loans, usually at lightning speed, thanks to the efficiency of fintech companies who digitally front banks and non-bank finance companies. In doing all of this, the Reserve Bank of India presumably is also addressing the social side of the problem. But credit card receivables of scheduled commercial banks, which attract a risk weight of 125%, like I mentioned, is now 150%. So clearly credit cards are being placed in the highest risk category and goes back to the social side of the problem. Organizations like Bajaj Finance, two of whose lending products, including one called Insta EMI, were suspended by the Reserve Bank just the day before for now, are NBFCs. The Reserve Bank of India Governor Shakti Kanta Das said last month that the central bank was closely monitoring some fast-growing personal loan categories for signs of nascent stress. Reuters had reported in a detailed account on October 19 that the Reserve Bank of India was particularly concerned with the surge in tiny personal loans of up to 10,000 rupees taken for three to four months. So the Reserve Bank has obviously a dilemma on its hands. On one hand, it is celebrating, like presumably other policymakers, high consumption levels, including driven by festivals, as we are seeing right now. And on the other hand, is forced to worry about how people are funding all of it. I reached out to Prabhi Roy, co-founder of B2B payments company Paymate and columnist on payment and financial issues, and began by asking him what he thought the Reserve Bank of India's move reflected. Well, one can only surmise as to why a macroprudential institute like the central bank would do something like this. My sense is that it's basically to protect a lot of first-time card users, which probably the card user base has increased post-COVID. And predominantly in the cohort of people who are in the credit card bracket of, you know, with a credit limit of about 10,000 to 50,000 rupees, the lower end of the credit card limit. So this, to my mind, could be first-time users. So just to fuel their lifestyle spending on account of the last three or four festival events which have happened in India, and as I call it, the revenge consumption has really come off this year, not so much last year. I mean, even observationally and anecdotally, I can make out that this year was much big Damaka than the previous year. So you had the Ganesh, then you had Dasera, Navaratri, then obviously just ending with Diwali. So I think a lot of people in the lower card range has probably used this to fuel their you know, event or festivity consumption and not realizing that probably those limits once extended and taken up will have to be repaid over a period of time and then probably they stop paying it and for whatever reason they don't have the income or they don't have the financial ability to do that. 
And probably the Reserve Bank sensing this has asked banks to put a little bit of a cap so that they keep a capital buffer in case this unsecured card loans or personal loans, which is what it is, goes out of whack. Like it happened in China in 2020, actually, where digital lending fueled, person to person lending fueled consumption and then went into COVID, the housing market crashed, and a lot of fintech companies actually wound up dead and dead in the water. And that was an unregulated sector. So I think the Chinese government thereafter regulated financial lending, digital lending very, very stringently, as you guys will remember. What the bank will have to do now is that for every one rupee they lend out, they will have to keep about either 25 paisa or 50 paisa as provisioning in their books. Would that be correct? Yes, I think that could be one interpretation. But the way one's reading it, it also says that if it was 100 earlier, it goes up to 125. So there's a straightaway you know, increase of 25% on that itself. Right. Provisioning is increased, which means the bank has less leeway to lend. What would this typically lead to? I mean, will the banks cut back on lending or will they raise the interest rates for those borrowers or what would they typically do? Well, I think it's just to signal to the banks that, listen, this unsecured lending is not a limitless bucket. And if banks have to provision more, that means that much amount of capital has to be kept for provisioning and which can't be used to be leveraged for more financialization. So, yes, is asking banks to be more cautious as to who they're giving cards to, asking them to keep track about consumer credit and delinquency, which I think has also gone up, frankly, and that's probably where this has all been picked up from. There's been a surge of using cards at the lower end and probably also a surge in delinquency going up. So asking banks to really, you know, not only provision, but signal to the consumer that, no, we're not going to let you keep rolling over your credit and maybe lower your credit score a bit. And I don't know whether the APR is going to increase, but you never know for delinquent accounts. Once you go delinquent, there's probably an automatic default and the, your rates anyway go up. What is an APR? Annual percentage rate, the credit card interest rate that you pay on your rolling credit. Right. Do you feel that this would be a, like a temporary move to cool things down or this could be more long term? I mean, just going by experience and past. Well, this is the first time I'm seeing such a move, but a move to try to cool down retail lending and retail credit expansion, which is mainly in the credit card and the personal loan space. There's no unlimited lending. I think it's just a signaling to the to everybody that, hey, this is something we noticed and please be mindful of this and keep your asset and liabilities matching kosher and provision for any unnecessary, you know, black swan kind of event where you get a runaway event where there's too much of credit, unsecured credit out there, and then there's huge amount of default and delinquency and distress. And that, I think, is what probably Central Bank wants to avoid or mitigate or prevent. Right. Prabir, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Govind. America and China are back to the table. Let's start with the fun part. President Xi Jinping has indicated that China will renew its panda diplomacy with the United States by once again sending the bears to American zoos, signaling his intent to stabilize relations between the world's two largest economies. Pandas have long been envoys of friendship between the Chinese and American peoples, Xi said during a dinner with business executives on the sidelines of an APEC summit in San Francisco on Wednesday. We are ready to continue our cooperation with the United States on panda conservation and do our best to meet the wishes of the Californians so as to deepen friendly ties between our two peoples, she said, and Bloomberg reported. 
Now, several announcements followed the original meeting between President Biden and Xi Jinping held outside San Francisco. They both agreed to open a presidential hotline, resume military-to-military communications, and work to curb fentanyl production, showing tangible progress in their first face-to-face talks in a year. We are back to direct, open, clear, direct communication on a direct basis. President Biden said, President Xi Jinping later said China wants to be friends with the United States and said his nation will not fight a war with anyone. He said that China never bets against the United States and has no intention to challenge the United States or to unseat it. Whatever stage of development it may reach, China will never pursue hegemony or expansion and will never impose its will on others, Xi Jinping said and Bloomberg reported. Interestingly, Xi Jinping also reportedly met with Elon Musk and other representatives in a small gathering. Musk apparently expressed gratitude and applauded the fast growth of China's new energy vehicle sector. Tesla's Weibo post said, noting that this year marks the 10th anniversary of Tesla's entry into China and its factory in Shanghai, built in 2019, has become a critical or a crucial production and export hub for Tesla. So now, what does this mean to India or from India's perspective? Remember, some of India's objectives and targets, economic, are predicated on weaker US-China relations, including the moving of manufacturing capacity to India in the well-known China plus one framework. I reached out to Indrani Bakchi, CEO of Ananta Aspen Center and columnist on diplomatic matters with the Times of India, and began by asking her what, in her view, prompted this almost sudden meeting or rapprochement between President Biden and Xi Jinping. One, the tensions have been around for some time, particularly since Donald Trump. Biden, while he has been more, let's say, mellow in his statement, not off-the-wall rhetoric like Trump, But Biden has also kept almost all the tariffs that Trump had introduced and in fact added more. Tensions between the two sort of increased during the Russia-Ukraine war. But we are also looking at a slightly different global scenario today. I mean, there's not only a Russia-Ukraine war, which is running into something that is a forever war. It's a stalemate that doesn't show that any side is actually closer to victory today than they were even a month ago. Second, we have this absolutely bloody war that has broken out in the Middle East, which has the portents of a much larger regional conflict that would affect everybody's interests. And third, China's been even more aggressive on Taiwan. So, for that matter, has Biden. And we have Taiwanese uh, elections coming up in January. So, the Biden administration has been signaling since the spy balloon incident in back in March. If you remember, a Chinese spy balloon floated across mainland US. Since the spy balloon incident in March, the Biden administration has been signaling very openly to China that they want to restore high-level communications, which China had stopped, and they wanted to put back some of the broken down communications that had started. On his part, Xi Jinping is now presiding over a wobbly Chinese economy. He has actually two key allies in the middle of a war. One is Russia, two is Iran and Saudi Arabia. I mean, Xi Jinping prided himself on being able to broker a peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. The entire Israel-Hamas war has put all of that in tatters. Third, because of the state of the Chinese economy, I think if you look at the latest World Bank figures, you will see that 
US imports from China has come down by at least 5%. Given the base, that's quite significant, particularly where China is concerned. China's entire idea is a import dependency by its partners. So all things considered, it was felt in everybody's interest to draw back from the brink and restore some communication. Yeah. Sitting here in India, you know, many of our projections, particularly in the context of business and investment, are somewhat predicated on tensions between the US and China. I mean, the whole China plus one is an outcome of that, which perhaps started in 2016 with Trump's tariffs. And there's more to that as well. How do you see that panning out? I don't see the change in that. If you notice, none of the sanctions have gone. None of the tariffs have gone. The Biden administration's small yard and high sanctions policy remains. The China plus one policy remains. And I was in Washington last week and I met a whole series of officials from the White House, State and Pentagon. And every one of them, the one thing that they said was, we want to assure our allies that, our partners and allies that very little has changed. Now, whether little has changed in terms of rhetoric or in terms of substance, we will see as we go along. The agreements were nothing to write home about. I mean, fentanyl, cooperation, mill-to-mill, communication, hotline. These are literally baby steps in, in the U.S. China. But the basis of where they are or why they are there, which is the overdependence of the U.S. economy on China and Certainly, from our point of view, our own dependence on China to be able to diversify from that, I think that remains on track. Whether the political rhetoric changes, and I think a lot of this reassurance was given to the Indian government when the two plus two happened in Delhi last weekend. Right. And Dani, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Gobind. Air traffic continues to go. India's domestic air traffic in October 2023 rose about 11% compared to the corresponding month in the previous year. Domestic airlines carried about 12 million passengers in October compared to 11 million passengers last year. Data released by the Director General of Civil Aviation yesterday showed. October marks the 8th straight month when domestic air traffic in India has surpassed pre-COVID levels in India. Indigo continues to be India's largest airline with a 62% share. Air India was the second largest domestic carrier in October with a 10.5% market share. On that note, that's it from me. Thank you for listening in. Do look out for our special core report weekend edition where I try and get into the nuts and bolts of India's export numbers with Dr. Ajay Sai, Director General of the Federation of Indian Export Organizations. See you next week. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.